agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love, the government hug the government love, the government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland Area Attorney and Defender of Freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, Jay. Hey, Mike. How are you doing this week? Uh, well, it's, it's, uh, it's Friday, so um, I'm pretty good now. We're recording a little earlier than we usually do. For those of you who are expecting Kristen and not Jay, uh, Kristen will be back next week, actually. We have her on the schedule now. We are looking forward to having her back, though I'm always happy to be doing the show with Jay. Um, also, before we get started, we'd like to thank our newest supporters, Jim, Jonathan, Sean, Nick, Gary, Joseph, and Billy. It's weird, Jay. There always seem to be more new supporters on weeks that Trey and Ken are doing the show as opposed to us. I- I'm trying not to take that personally. Anyway. Um, also, Wilmer, uh, thank you for a very generous donation to the show through Venmo. That's, of course, on top of Wilmer's already generous monthly sustaining support. You are, you are one of the truly great ones, and we really appreciate it. And, of course, when you're a Patreon supporter, you get that second full-length episode every week. You get ad-free versions of all our shows, other stuff as well. Check it out. Go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. And if you if you like that stuff but you can't afford to support the show right now, send me an email, mikeatpolitiskguys.com, and I'll get you set up. And if your RSS feed is broken for that bonus show uh, and you're not a Patreon supporter, there was a little technical issue. I had to switch some things up. Just send me an email, and I will get you reset up in that whole process. All right. So today we will be talking about the Gaza ceasefire, the push for an independent commission on the January 6th Capitol takeover, the possibility of the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade just before the 22 mid- 2022 midterm elections, and maybe even more. We'll see how time goes. Uh, but before we get to that, we will take that first quick break, and we will be right back to start things off. Okay, Jay, so our top story today is the uh, 11-day conflict in the Gaza Strip is, well, if not at a, not an end, certainly, at least at a halt, I would say, with both Israel and Hamas agreeing to an Egyptian-brokered ceasefire. And the thousands of rockets that were launched by Hamas, uh, the majority of which were blocked by Israel's Iron Dome defense system, resulted in at least a dozen Israeli deaths with Israeli retaliatory strikes against Gaza, killing over 230 Palestinians, so a nearly 20 times greater death toll on the Palestinian side. Both sides declared victory after the ceasefire, and in Israel, the far right expressed disappointment that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu agreed to halt military action at this point. Now, President Biden, who initially hung back on calling for a ceasefire, but eventually did so on Wednesday, said that he sees this as a genuine opportunity toward building a lasting peace in the Middle East. In a statement, the president said, I believe the Palestinians and Israelis equally deserve to live safely and securely and enjoy equal measures of freedom, prosperity, and democracy. My administration will continue our quiet, relentless diplomacy toward that. Many people on the progressive left feel that Biden didn't put enough pressure on Israel, calling the treatment of Palestinians in Gaza apartheid. Support for Israel, which not too long ago was a matter of really strong bipartisan agreement, has, like so many other things, become a lot more politicized in the U.S. in recent years. Of course, it wasn't helped by Benjamin Netanyahu embracing former President Trump and, you know, many on the left, I think, being 
increasingly sympathetic to the plight of Palestinians in the occupied territories. So, Jay, last week, Trey and Ken talked about the situation with the focus more on Netanyahu's domestic political reasons for the response we saw. They've sort of been our Israeli politics correspondents uh, for a while now on the show. And so I thought we could maybe take a look more at the U.S. political context. So what's your initial take on all this? Well, I think um, the the first thing I'd want to say in response to you said that there are more uh, on the left have grown more sympathetic to the Palestinians. Um, I I think it's a matter of uh, not that there has been a change in sympathy. Uh, there's been a change in personnel. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? There there are more uh, uh, elected Democrats uh, who hold sort of an, an antipathy uh, towards Israel uh, than were present, say, five ten years ago. Um, uh, so I, I think I think it's 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 less that the the ideas or the um, uh, you know where they where, the, where individual members are is moving as opposed to just different members and that's you have a different different caucus than what you did um, uh, a decade ago. Um, that said, I mean, and from from my perspective, I was initially heartened by uh, Biden's response. Um, and his his uh, defense of, of Israel's right to defend itself, uh, which I think was entirely uh, appropriate. Um, it, at some point, uh, you knew that that uh, the U.S. would join the the chorus of "Let's have a ceasefire," uh, and eventually they they did. Now, um, to my my hope, I mean, would would be that to some extent we're we're doing this in in coordination with uh, Israel, uh, our ally. Um, obviously I, I don't, I don't know uh, one way or the other, but, um, so it, it, to, to start with, I would say I was heartened by, by, uh, U S support, um, of, of, uh, Israel against Hamas, which is a terrorist organiza- organization, uh, funded by Iran. Uh, and you know, I, I, I think we, we ought to be able to take a clear side on, on that. So, um, I, they, that's where I, I guess I, my starting point. Um, is there also something in there of, or is Hamas uh, testing Biden? Um, my sense is maybe, right? But that's probably like a little farther down the line. Um, I think we, we have a tendency here in the United States to think that a lot of foreign events uh, are, are related to, to what we do or think, and, and they, not, they aren't necessarily, uh, that's not necessarily so. So as, as Kay and Tra- Trey and Ken uh, talked about uh, there being some domestic Israeli issues going on. I think there were also some domestic uh, Palestinian issues uh, in that uh, I think Hamas would like to be seen as the stronger anti-Israel uh, government as opposed to the, the government of the Palestinian Authority. Um, so I, I think there's, there's that going on uh, as well. Um, so yeah. that's, I guess that's my, my opening, opening thoughts there on the... You know, I have a lot of sympathy for regular, regular Palestinian, the Palestinian people. Uh, let's say that the situation there on the ground is really awful. And I think everyone can agree that. I mean, destroyed infrastructure even before this, decaying infrastructure, rampant COVID, unemployment is somewhere around 70 percent. It's it's a horrible situation for the Palestinian people who are being, I, I think it's fair to say, misruled by this terrorist government, or government, I use the term very loosely. And, and I think everyone 
believes that Palestinian lives matter and that the treatment of Palestinian, that their life situation is, for most of them, is, is, is truly awful. And I'm sure you don't disagree with that. No, no, not at all. And again, I think you hit the nail on the head in that, um, look, this is, uh, the, the Palestinians have been governed to the extent you can use that word by, uh, by sort of a corrupt uh, kleptocracy for, for years, uh, whose, whose main goal was, was, you know, hatred and inflaming hatred of Israel. Um, uh, and as, as a result, uh, you know, peace has been, peace has been elusive. And I think that's, uh, um, that's part of, um, the, you know, the, the situation that the Palestinians are in. So, um, yeah, no, I have, I have, I have a great deal of sympathy for, for Palestinian uh, people. And, and, and just as, just as you might say that, look, you could have a great deal of sympathy, sympathy for, um, uh, you know the, the Japanese people or the German people in in World War II, but that that doesn't change the the uh, you know what what's going on as, as a military issue, right? I mean, it's uh, I I do believe, and, and again, this will probably get me in trouble, but I my my belief uh, is sincere that I don't think the Israelis uh, intentionally target civilians. Um, Hamas does. Uh, Hamas uh, has has been known also to use people as human shields, um, and again, that's that's beyond disturbing. Um, but but it is what it is, and um, yeah. And I think Hamas does that because they want that, in a sense, they want the, the civilians to be targeted so they can wave the bloody shirt and you know and say, yeah. look what look what Israel's doing. And that, but at the same time. I do. I agree with most of the rest of the world that the West Bank settlements are illegal, that it is occupied territory, not disputed lands, as the, the term of art in Israeli politics is, I guess. And not only that, but that the intended purpose of the of the occupation and moving all the settlers in, which really you know, ramped up since Netanyahu has been in power the last 12 years, is to uh, make a two-state solution impossible. I, I believe that that's you know, something that uh, Netanyahu and those to the right of him certainly just have an abhorrence of, and they realize that these settlements is the best way to you know, make that much more difficult. And, but at the same time, I think it's important to, to, to understand or try to understand things from Israel's perspective. You know, there's this, it seems to me pretty clear that, you know, that the world, at least big parts of the world actively are against israel uh here's just to, to give you a sense it's in jail well, i'd say I know most you know everybody <laughs> I, mean, yeah, well, sort of, I mean since i mean going going way back to the the un you know zionism is racism resolution uh you know yeah yeah i mean and, and going back to millennium millennia of anti-semitism but uh, right. but just this one fact i think really encapsulates a lot since 2015 the un human rights council has issued zero condemnations for China, Pakistan, Venezuela, Cuba, or Zimbabwe, six for North Korea, seven for the U.S., so we're one more than North Korea, 12 <laughs> for Russia, and get ready, 112 for Israel. I mean, I, I think, I don't know if I've said this on the show, but I've contended for years, that's the entire purpose of the U.N. Human Rights uh, uh, Commission, which is, is a sham. It, it's to uh, you know, condemn Israel. That's, that's what they're there for. That's. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I, and so, and and if you look at again the the countries that have been represented on the UN uh, Human Rights Commission, it's it's uh, yeah, it's a joke. again, it's, I mean, it's, really... it's shocking and stunning, and and uh, you know the idea that we would, and the U.S. has been on and off in terms of, of how greatly we've we've condemned that, but um, uh, you know, yeah, it, it's a joke. And here, this is why this is, I'm so conflicted about this because. You, you see these scenes of how, uh, you know, of, of life in, in these occupied territories, and, and it's awful. But then again, I, I, don't, I don't see any way out of this because given the fact that Hamas is uh, clearly and vocally and loudly committed to the destruction of Israel, that's, that's not the same as apartheid in South Africa or anything like that. I mean, this is, this is the, that's why I reject that uh, that analogy because i just don't think it's i don't think it's right israel does have a right to defend itself and that's why i was glad when i heard that no president biden said he's going to uh, make sure that israel's iron dome defensive missiles are resupplied but yeah absolutely we want to see that because without that the death toll i mean i mentioned that the death toll for the palestinians was 20 times higher but that's only because those iron dome rockets were able to shoot down you know a, yeah. a, a vast majority of those 4,000 rockets at Hamas launched, and, and thank God for that. So well, I, I, I'm also always a little skeptical of numbers coming from the Palestinian side. That's, yeah, sure, that's, that, that's fair. But even if we assume those numbers. And, yeah, right. And even that, if I we guess, assume the numbers are double what, or, or half of what they say, that there's still a tremendous disparity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think the problem is, is people say, well, because I know I'm going to take, get some heat on this, because certainly for you, this is, a, I mean, it's because it's a pretty standard position on the right. right. On Everybody the left, expects me to be where I am. <laughs> right. I think I'm very, I'm very much out of touch with certainly the progressive left on that, but I feel like it's a false dichotomy. I can be very much appalled by how things are for the Palestinians and want to do whatever we can to relieve their plight, but not, you know, not, not necessarily say, well, you know, Israel is just has to do what just allow terrorism to to run unchecked and not have these border checks i mean it, that's I, I don't yeah it's a crummy choice but certainly an option is not for israel to just say well you know we're just going to give up and so okay we're going to allow these you know these folks who want to destroy us to move freely around in, in israel that's i mean that's that's no option and yeah. to me this is sort of the inevitable result of simply creating a state in the middle of an extremely hostile environment, which, you know, was basically what was done with the creation of Israel in 1948. And I am absolutely in favor of a Jewish state, you know, and, uh, but I'm also in favor of the right of that state to defend itself. And so th that's why I think overall, what I, my sense of the Biden administration's larger policy here is just to try to disengage as much as possible, as opposed to every president, certainly in our lifetimes, Jay, who said, well, we're going to try to bring peace to the Middle East and talk about a fool's errand. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, um, one, I, I do just want to make a, a comment. This is just on a funny linguistic thing. Um, but when we talk about uh, Gaza as being the occupied uh, territory, um, as I understand this recently, I read that there were like 30 some factories uh, in Gaza building these, these missiles. Now, Gaza is about, again, roughly uh, the, the, you know, size of, of greater, the greater Cleveland area, Cuyahoga County sort of, sort of area. Um, I couldn't imagine having 30 missile facilities, um, you know, in, <laughs> in my county. Um, you know, that, that would be like the, the largest employer, uh, you know, by, by far. 
Um, so if, if when, when people use the word, they say, oh, it's an occupied territory. Well, it's not terribly well occupied. Uh, if if the other side is allowed to is able to operate, um, you know, build build all these missiles and launch them, um, uh, and have the the infrastructure of the tunnels and all that. That's just my my little kind of tweaking people and and um, uh, making kind of a linguistic point. Um, but on the the broader point, uh, you know, I think there's there are some other things that are going on um, over the past. You know, if we if we look way back, I say way back. Um, I'm talking, you know, 40 years, there has been a, a continual thaw between Israel and the Arab world, um, starting with Egypt, uh, and then up and up through last year, where, uh, again, these were countries that did not recognize Israel's right to exist, um, and upon whom the Palestinians had, had uh, uh, relied, uh, in large part, for both financial, military, and, and moral support. And and now they're sort of down to um, Hamas and Iran, uh, so I, I think there is there is progress there, um, and and I, I I think peace is is possible. I, I you know we were um, very close to sort of a two state solution back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, uh, but, uh, but Netanyahu again, that, took power, and you know, like I said, I, I think that he has done a lot to push things well, in the but, but wrong direction. Keep in mind, according to the according to the Bill Clinton's memoirs, it was the Palestinians who rejected the deal, um, and then Netanyahu came to power, and then you had the um, the uprising of the, the early two thousands. Um, so I, I I think a you know two state situation, um, you know, it, it's been tried, it's been proposed so many times. And I think many Israelis would would agree to it, um, would agree a two state solution, as long as there was not the the guaranteed right to return, um, which has always also been the sticking sure. point. But but I think I, I think now it's just not it's just not much of a possibility because of all the settlements that have been built. And again, I believe they were built specifically to make that not possible. And I understand at least to the to the extent that anyone living in a very secure large military superpower can understand uh, why that may have been the case, but it's also just makes it just a wickedly tough problem. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. Um, and I, and I, guess I feel it, frustrated because usually, you know, Jay, I say, here's what I think we should do. I have some policy ideas and solutions, but honestly, I, I'm, you know, I feel like, and this sounds like it's going to sound like a Republican talking point coming from me, but you know, uh, Israel is a is a flawed democracy. I think Netanyahu certainly seems like he's a he's a corrupt sob. But Israel is also the most democratic country in the region, and uh, and they have been an ally for a long time. And I think you know we it is not only in our strategic interest, but I think it's a moral imperative for us to support democracy around the world. And so. Yeah, about all I can offer, I guess, is to say, well, I think we should. I, I don't have a problem with the recently approved what, $735 million in arms sale to Israel, which is you know, for uh, entirely, I believe, for precision-guided munitions. Again, and also I'm in favor of the Iron Dome resupply for those missiles because I think we need to, we need to support our allies. And, uh, uh, but also, I guess, the only other thing I could offer is you know, I think we need to work as much as possible as we can with the Palestinian Authority and try to supply 
aid, economic aid, and other types of aid in ways that don't also support Hamas. And that's, that's super difficult to do. Well, I was, was going to say, that's, yeah. that's always the thing. We've been doing yeah. that for years of saying, well, we're going to provide aid to the Palestinians. And that aid ends up in as, a, uh, as, as bombs in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just I, just, I hate talking about this issue. I can't even imagine living it. I hate talking about it because I just find myself completely just at sea. You know, and it's a very frustrating sort of thing. But generally speaking, I feel like the Biden administration's approach has been a pr- pretty decent, actually. I, I, I get the sense that Joe Biden is much more for sort of quiet, behind the scenes type of diplomacy. And I, I maybe I just like that as a contrast to what we saw the four years previous. But it seems to me he's navigating this reasonably well, given especially the pressures that he's facing from kind of his left flank in his own party. Yeah. Oh, the other thing, I mean, my, to the extent that, that I would offer policy solutions, it is the, the policy solution that Netanyahu has offered. Uh, and that is, look, for there to be any peace to be possible, um, Hamas has to be wiped out. And, I'm all for you know, wiping out terrorist organizations, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think that's that's got to be a starting point. And does, does that mean that uh, we eventually, you know, get peace, uh, you know, down the road? Uh, no, probably not. There are a whole lot of other hurdles to get through. But um, when you have a, a terrorist organization funded by a uh, regional uh, power uh, that is seeking to expand, there's there's no way that uh, you know the, a regional power that has 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 sworn that it wants to you know push Israel into the sea. Um, yeah, there's there's really no uh, easy easy way to make peace with uh, with that kind of an enemy. Yeah, agree. All right, well, let's take a quick break, and then we will move right on to our next story. Everyone deserves nice things, but with all the markups in traditional luxury retail, high-quality goods can be awfully expensive. Quince is different. They're a one-stop shop for essential products with low design costs. They've got tees, hoodies, loungewear, pants and shorts, blouses, dresses, skirts. I mean, unless you're a nudist, they've got something for you. and. You know, even if you are clothing optional, they've got home accessories, bedding, bath, decor, all sorts of good stuff. Quince finds the best factories and only partners with those committed to the highest production standards, fair wages, safety, and sustainability, which is particularly a big deal to me. And because Quince is shipping directly to you with no agents, stores, or other middlemen, you get great 100% factory direct prices on everything. I mean, I've been desperately in need of some new t-shirts, and I was really impressed by the price and quality of their organic Pima cotton selection. And my bath towels, honestly, are looking pretty ratty, too. So Quince's great prices on high-quality Turkish bath towels, they, they really caught my eye. Quality shouldn't be a luxury. You deserve it. So try Quince today. Get free shipping and 365-day free returns by going to onequince.com slash politicsguys. Many of their collections sell out immediately, so don't wait. You can save hundreds of dollars on clothing and accessories by going to onequince.com slash politicsguys. That's O-N-E-Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash politicsguys. Okay, Jay, so uh, next let's talk about the House of Representatives approving uh, this week a bipartisan commission to investigate the January 6th takeover of the U.S. Capitol. That bill actually passed the House 252 to 175, with 35 Republicans joining the House Democrats in support. Now, 
What's interesting about this, well, a lot of things are, but Republican minority leader Kevin McCarthy actually was the person to authorize his fellow Republican John Katko to negotiate a deal. Uh, and in a February letter to Speaker Pelosi, McCarthy said, you know, we're not going to do this unless, the, unless there's equal representation from both parties. Well, that's exactly what the plan that Katko agreed to, a bipartisan plan, had. Ten members on the commission, five from each party, and the majority required issue, issue any subpoenas. I mean, it was modeled, taken directly from the 9-11 commission. But this week after former President Trump came out strongly against the commission, calling it a Democrat trap, McCarthy announced his opposition, though he didn't go so far as to formally whip votes against the measure. It was more just like a strong encouragement, basically. And then in the Senate, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who initially expressed some openness considering the commission, also came out against it. So, Jay, what's what's your take on this? It seemed like it was something that, you know, there was, I mean, why in the world would McCarthy say, go ahead and, you know, basically, you know, make a deal for this and let's make sure it's bipartisan. Well, five and five and a majority to issue subpoenas, that, that seems about as bipartisan as it gets. So what what's the problem here? Well, I, I think a couple things. Um, one, I think the Republicans are, are wisely seeing that this this is a, a trap. Um, and it makes sense for them to be on the record voting no uh, at this point so they can say down the road, look, we told you this is all just <clears throat> just political theater. Um, can, you, can you explain what you mean by trap? I guess I'm confused yeah. about that. Well, I, so, I mean, this is, this is going to be uh, the, the narrative that is going to be pushed um, is that this was, you know, Donald Trump's uh, secret plan to overthrow the government. Um, and that, you know, he directly, uh, uh, you know, incited, incited this uh, with an effort to essentially uh, have a coup. Um, ba- that's okay, that's now, based look, on look, sort of the, the narrative we've, we've seen so far. I, I guess, I, think, Jay, look, I guess before you go further, I guess, I understand how there are plenty of Democrats who might argue that, though maybe not quite as an extreme version of that. But even if that is the case, I don't see how one, at least one Republican who, and by the way, these Republicans on this committee would be appointed by McCarthy and McConnell. I don't exactly see how they would sign on to that. So that's, I guess, where I'm confused about this, how, how it's the trap if the committee report could only be, I mean, the majority report of the committee could only be that, you know, as such with at least one Republican handpicked by McConnell and McCarthy signing on. So what, what's the fear from that? What's the trap in that? I mean, well, I guess, I mean, one, I'm I'm not sure that you're, you, you get that, that sign on or uh, that you don't end up with, with two separate reports or the the Democrats issuing their own report. Um, Oh, I'm sure that, but, but so what? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's not the committee you know, report. I mean, the minority, they could issue reports right now and they would have absolutely no. That's the whole point of a bipartisan committee. I mean, right. Pelosi but may the, end up making the whole, her own. The whole point of the bipartisan committee is just to, to uh, run these issues up a flagpole, right? And then you have Republicans who say, no, we can't sign on to that. And the Democrats say, look, uh, we have exposed this coup. Uh, they will not uh, even play in, with, with the commission. Um, this is this is ridiculous. Here's our uh, Democrat report uh, highlighting the the uh, Trump's attempted coup. Um, 
I think is, and I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not arguing one or the other. But again, just to, to be clear, I'm, I'm putting on my purely strategic uh, thinking cap here, um, and and at some point, Republicans are going to say this this is a kangaroo court, um, and you know then the, can you explain the that term? If they had vote, voted for this would have been well. Can you why explain did you, why the did you term? Kangaroo court. Pardon? Can you explain the term? Kangaroo it is, it court? is a a, a a a fake uh, proceeding, an unserious. Okay, in what sense is it uh, fake? You did, well, again, I, you're missing. The, I see. This is this is what this is what I don't get, and I'm 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 trying to understand. I'm trying. I I believe you're arguing this in good faith, but again, the, there, sure there can be a minority report, which would mean nothing because it doesn't have the credibility of bipartisanship. And so what I'm saying is that. What do Republicans have to fear from any report that one of their one or more of their handpicked members would sign on to? I, I don't think they have anything to fear from it. And you know, back in February, re- plenty of Republicans were saying we need something modeled after the 9/11 Commission. Well, this is that pretty much carbon copy in terms of structure. And, and now all of a sudden, well, it's duplicative. We don't need it. Um, that to me just seems like they're saying, you know what? We know what's going on here. We don't want to get Donald Trump mad because Donald Trump is still incredibly powerful. So you know what? Let's just not have this investigation. It would just be really inconvenient to subpoena, you know, even potentially subpoena Kevin McCarthy and others. Not that there would be a majority vote on the committee to do that. But so let's just make this all go but away that would and be pretend it didn't happen. Understand? But it wouldn't happen. That's, that's my that's point. That's the point. No, no, no. It doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen. What? What? It's it's you get the headline. Right, so it, you don't think Kevin the, McCarthy that's, should that's be? That's the trap, right? This and this is why the truth Republicans... is a trap. It is. It's a horrible. No, no, trap. no, 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 no. Please, just just listen here. Okay, the, fair the, enough. The the because Republicans are usually terrible at playing this this inside baseball. Oh, uh, that's so yeah. you're, you're so wrong. But go ahead. But so no, the 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 trap is, um, you say, oh, oh, we like to have a commission. Oh, sure, okay, we'll sign on to your commission. Uh, at which point, then they demand all sorts of witnesses. They demand to call. They're going to call Donald Trump. Uh, they will call um, uh, every you know other members of the the Trump administration. They would. They will seek to do everything. Um, uh, they will. They will call Bill Barr uh, and say, "Was didn't you know about this? Why didn't you know? Why, how did you allow this?" Um, it, it, it's it's going. So then, what happens we is. Want Right. So then, then what happens is they, they will they will seek to call a lot of witnesses purely for the political spectacle spectacle of it. Um, when Re- Republicans object to that, say, "Listen, this is this is ridiculous. We won't sign on to that subpoena." They they will then cry to the media, "Look, they're obstructing the investigation. Um, th- this is exactly what we told you would happen." But shouldn't we? That's want that's the to know what. But shouldn't we want to know what Kevin McCarthy? Uh, what his role was, and shouldn't we want to hear from some of these people? I mean, I sure think it would be helpful to know what Donald Trump knew and when he knew it and how he acted and get people on the record before this committee saying what exactly the, the former president's response was and what you know, McCarthy was saying. Isn't this valuable information? Don't, doesn't the public have a right to know this? Well, if, if, if so, I mean, maybe. Um... But I'm I'm not sure why you you sign on to the commission. I mean, again, if if there's any intrepid reporters out there, they can pick up the phone and call these people. Intrepid and if, reporters if they say no comment, power? well, there you there you know something. But that's, um, I mean, that's that's the thing. There's a big difference. I'm sure you you would agree between 
an intrepid reporter from any organization calling and getting the brush off and actually being subpoenaed by a, by a special committee. Yeah. And, and, you, and the, the, uh, the idea, again, you, you would get more into the attempted, you know, perjury traps, that sort of thing. Um, and we've already the had... The perjury trap already, is someone who's called to testify and they lie. I mean, you can call it a perjury trap. No, 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 trap, no. A per, perjury it? trap is, is let's, let's think back to like the Scooter Libby, um, sure. Tim, Tim Russert situation, right? Where uh, he said one thing under oath and then you had hearsay evidence that a reporter who was then dead said that he had said something different. And, and that's, right. the, that's the perjury trap, right? Somebody says, look, I, I heard him say something different. That's, I, to me, it's, I, it's just, I get why I hear, the Democrats hear, are doing it, and I get why the Republicans would not want to play along with this. I, I guess to me the problem, the problem that I'm having is there were an awful lot of Republicans who in February and even in March were saying, yeah, we definitely should have this commission as long as it's even between Democrats and Republicans. And so Democrats called their bluff and said, okay, We'll make it even between Democrats and Republicans. And, and now, you know, so I, the biggest thing, I guess, that's, that's credible that I hear, that's not just playing politics with this, uh, is the argument that, well, this is too narrow. It should have been expanded to include investigation of left-wing left violence last summer in Portland and other places. And, you know, I say to that, I say, these are two different issues, but fair enough. Okay, there was a lot of, you know, anti-government violence and, and, and protests that were, you know, caused a lot in property damage and, and deaths. And so, so yeah, let's investigate that, but we don't want to conflate these two things. And, and I would, if I were certainly in Congress, I would agree to a separate investigation on, on that. But it seems to me that Republicans basically, this is just my sense, is that back in February, they felt like they had to agree to something like this with no intention of ever going through with it because, well, I think the main reason for McCarthy, why he basically cut off Katko at the knees, was because he wants to be speaker come January 2023. And I think there's a really good chance of that happening. If I were a betting person, and I am, I would bet on that. But he knows that without sort of the Trumpist vote and support, that's not going to happen. And so that's why he did what he did. Well, what do you think right. about that? Do you, do you think, um, well, I, I, something else I, I, I do want to mention is that the rules would allow the, the Democratic chairman to uh, be in control of staff of the committee and also could demand unilaterally information from federal agencies without a subpoena. Um, so there is, there is that, that that tilts the scales. But look, I'd, I'd be willing to say, okay, yeah, they, they have the majority, so, so they're going uh, to have more power on this. Um, but do you think that the commission's purpose is to really get at what happened uh, on uh, January 6th, or do you think it is to uh, embarrass and go after it once more Donald Trump? Both. Um, and, and I think that's true of almost anything that happens in Congress is there's always a political motive. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is you and I both saw the pictures. We saw plenty of people running through the Capitol uh, with members of Congress barricaded in there, running through, running through the Capitol with Trump signs and Trump banners and hats and all that. And sure, it's going to embarrass Trump because Donald Trump indirectly, I, I, don't, I don't believe that he directly incited this, but certainly he was the cause, the indirect cause of this more than any other individual. Will that be embarrassing? Yeah, and it should be embarrassing because it was what is just about the most disgraceful political act I can think of in, in my lifetime. So yeah, I think he should be embarrassed. Of course he's past embarrassment, but yeah. Right. But what, what do you think that, um, 
what what will the the uh what information do you think is going to come out though well you know i don't know that's why we have that's why we have hearings you could say the same thing yeah, about but we oh, also, i don't know look we, we we also have criminal investigations going on um that's very know, different that's many, about how many 400, 400 some arrests and and you know people waiting prosecution but that's a right? different so thing that's we, very focused on specific acts of individuals that's a very different right. thing i mean you know, and, and, and yes, I know this is all very political because, you know, plenty, there are plenty of Republicans in Congress who want, who would have had, you know, a uh, hundred investigations of Benghazi. And uh, all of a sudden now, you know, just kind of just turning their heads with uh, with an actual, you know, insurrection at the Capitol. And so that that to me as well, that's just politics. Sure. But, you know, the role of what, Donald what, Trump, I in guess this, here's, well, here's the difference. Here's my uh, I, I point out the difference between something like Benghazi. Is Benghazi there was there was sort of a mystery there, right? How did this happen? Um, because we were told one thing by the administration that it was oh, it's just because this this video. Uh, but then we learned that there were other things going on. Uh, there were also questions about why troops weren't sent in to, to support uh, the embassy at Benghazi. Here, what's what's the mystery? Great question, and the answer. You just mentioned there was a mystery of why troops weren't sent in. Well, one big mystery about the capital issue is exactly when Donald Trump knew what was going on and how he reacted and what he called for. And there, there seems to be, a, you know, a certain amount of evidence suggesting that this happened and he was kind of just sort of gleefully watching it on Fox News and actually egging some of these people on when, you know, the Capitol was being literally invaded. And right. if, that doesn't turn, if that doesn't turn any real patriotic American stomach, I think there's something wrong with that person. It does. But, okay, so to what extent does it, uh, I mean, I, I think the when, um, why weren't reinforcements sent in? Why was the National Guard called earlier? I think those are important questions to, to look at. And Congress has already taken testimony on that. And, but um, I guess you, you sort of hit on the point of, well, what was Donald Trump doing? Um, you know, I, I think that's pretty clear, right? I, I wouldn't dispute anyone who says he was just sitting there watching people cheer it on. And, and, and I think that is disgraceful. Um, but the, the, the plan is to just replay it again. Um, and I get that. Plenty so of people it's, don't it's a political, it's a political move and the Republicans are responding with a, with a political move. And the, the idea is, I guess maybe the best way to, to, to explain this is if you have a, a supposedly bipartisan commission, um, the idea is that there is, there is some, uh, modicum of legitimacy and, and fairness built into that. Um, as opposed to just a regular uh, investigation by a House committee or a Senate committee. Right. And I think Republicans don't want to play into that uh, because they think they're not going to actually, it's, it's going to be the same as if it was just a regular House committee or Senate committee investigation. Um, and, and they're just not going to play along. So, Except it won't. Well, let, let's be clear, except it wouldn't because in a regular investigation, Democrats would have the majorities and would have sole power to, to subpoena or to allow or disallow the other side to call witnesses. Right. But, but, but again, my, my point is that the point is not to find any new information. The point is to be able to call witnesses uh, who, who the Republicans will have to object to uh, so, and then point the finger for objecting. So, so the, point, the point is to get headlines. So basically you're saying that both sides on this are acting entirely in bad faith and no one really gives a damn about actually finding out anything. Is that more or less it? Yes. Yes. 
Uh, I, okay. Well, I mean, I, I think okay. I think people people no, okay. I, I think people know what what happened. Now, again, there are okay. I think the legitimate questions about where was the National Guard and and you know why not earlier and who called that off, whether it was Trump, whether it was DC, all that. Um, but um, yeah, I okay. Okay. Well, I mean, wait, you know, okay. I, let me ask. Let me let me flip flip the question on you. Suppose there was a an investigation of left wing violence, um, and Democrats said, "No, we're not going to sign on. We're not going to sign on to this to be part of this this commission." How how would you how would you feel? What would your response be? Well, I think my my response w- would be would obviously depend on what sort of violence. If we're talking specifically about the stuff, that well, like the, in, in the protests summer. of May twenty yeah. fifth. Yeah, I just I Black Lives I Matter want... protests, uh, the continuing trying, continually trying to burn down the uh, courthouse in Portland, uh, pretty much every every other Friday. Um, uh, that that type of of uh, left wing violence. Hey, if, if I were, as I said, if I were in Congress, I would, uh, I certainly would be okay with with a uh, uh, with an investigation of that. I mean, it was pretty widespread. There was, I mean, it was a, a huge. Thing and I don't see any problem with that. I just say it shouldn't be. Mr. Chairman, my first witness I'd like to call is uh, Congressman uh, Maxine Waters. Sure, absolutely. Why not? Well, I mean, you might you might allow I it, think. but I don't think I don't think uh, um, I, I don't think uh, the the actual participants would. Well, I, I, let me ask you this. I guess I'm saying that I, you're saying there's there's no one who I, I, I'm saying, and I think you believe this that I am approaching this and. and, and with good faith and you're saying that there is literally no one in congress on either side who is approaching this with any good faith at all i'm not going to go out and say there's literally no one in congress (laughs) that's approaching this in good faith but i I think both sides recognize this is a a political game and it is is much more aimed at uh, generating headlines and politics in the run-up to uh, off your elections than it is to getting any actual new information. Okay, that's, you know, I, I don't actually think we're as far apart as maybe I initially thought we were. I think it's just that, you know, you're, you tend to be, I think, uh, much more on the cynical side, and I'm, I'm a bit more idealistic on these things. But, but, but yeah, I, I certainly can't disagree with that. Anyone who says that that's not a major element of this from both sides is, I think, in, incredibly naive. So I think where we differ is the extent to which this could be useful for anything aside from those political purposes. And I think I see it as having more use, if, if for nothing else, to just, well, I, and this would be bad for Republicans in the short run, but I think better for them in the long run, anything we can do to point out to the American public in as bipartisan a way as possible what a complete disaster of a president Donald Trump was and how his sort of authoritarian anti-conservative, anti-democratic politics should never be the model for the Republican Party going forward. I think that's a good thing. But it, there's always the question of, will you renounce Donald Trump and all his works? Um, right? And they, they, they're always this, you have to say it, renounce him, renounce him. And you don't, you don't get that coming on the, the right. But I, I, and I don't understand exactly what the, where the, the differences are in terms of, of why that tends to be a, a thing of, um, the, the public renouncement, but uh, that's, I think it's because of Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump it explicitly called, you know, he, he's lied. I think you agree in a way about the legitimacy 
of the 2020 election and that Absolutely. indirectly. Yeah. So that's why he needs to be renounced in a way that no other politician, American politician, at least no other American president before him ever needed to be renounced, not just for the sake, I would argue, of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, but for the sake of democracy in America. Bill, Bill Clinton if, if, lied to a federal court, right? We renounced Bill Clinton and all his works. They're, they're, different, they're different categories of lie, Jay, and I think you know that. Well, when, right. The when one, a one's a, one was under oath to a federal judge. That's not the difference I'm talking about, and I think you know that as well. The difference is that Donald Trump's repeated lies struck at the very heart of a democracy in a way that Bill Clinton's didn't. I, I certainly denounce. I certainly denounce Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton's lies. I, I'll denounce any president's lies. But there are different. There are different weights. There are different consequences of different lies. And this lie, I think, strikes the, the repeated big lie of Donald Trump that we see the repercussions of now in Arizona and other places with these crazy audit ninja people and all that. That that is going to have ramifications. That has ramifications for. You know, God knows how long that strikes again at the heart of this democracy. That's a lot different than saying, well, I didn't have sex with that woman, which, hey, not good, but a whole different thing. You, you, I guess you, you miss, miss my point. Um, I'm, I'm okay. saying I, I agree with you 100% that, that what Trump has done, uh, he is indirectly responsible by, 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 through the, the big lie. Again, assuming the, the big lie, because we talked about this to, to some extent, I, I think there's, there's still good reason to, to believe that, that Trump is just delusional and he actually believes he won the election by a landslide. Um, I think that's, that's you know, how I read the, the transcript of the, the Georgia call. Um, but re- regardless, um, I guess when, when, do, when uh, do people get to stop renouncing Trump? When, when will this, let me, let me maybe put, put it this way. <laughs> exactly. Because here we are at the end of May. And who are we still talking about? Well, because right? Donald Trump is still driving the agenda of the Republican Party. Well, Kevin to, McCarthy, to extent, I, I guess. Uh, he's the most powerful, the most prominent Republican in the country, and he will be for years to come. So, yes, absolutely. He needs to be denounced. He needs to be shamed, denounced. He needs to be dragged through every kind of legitimate mud that he possibly can be. To make, to make anyone who even thinks about going down the same anti-democratic path that he attempted to go down to make sure that that is not a possibility going forward. That's why this is so critically important. Do, do you think it, it helps or hurts? It would help if some Republicans got on board, that's for sure. If it doesn't help, yeah, if it's all Democrats, sure. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean... So that's why I have a problem with the, with the revival. And I understand. Let me, let me be clear. I understand the Republican dilemma here because what I am, in effect, asking Republicans to do is to say, you know what, we, I, I need you to destroy part of your base in the short term to save your party and democracy in the long term. And a lot of people, I mean, every Republican office holder is a, a short term, especially in the House, by definition person. They're saying, well, that's not a deal I'm interested in taking. You know, I, yeah. so I, I get it. I get the political calculation, but I think it's disastrous for our country. Well, or, or what if you had uh, plenty of Republicans who are willing to, let's just, let's just move on, right? Let's talk about the problems we have now. Let's talk about uh, how do we, uh, you know, 
you know, come into the post-pandemic economy? Uh, how do we deal with uh, the spending promises we've made? How do we deal with potential inflation? Uh, how do we deal with China and Russia? Um, is, is there some room for that? But the Democrats would still like to keep talking about Donald Trump forever. Sure. And I see what you're saying that there's, again, that there's absolutely that political advantage. And I, I think you're and right. Look, if, if, if I'm the Republicans and I'm talking about Donald Trump, I'm losing, right? I'm that, that is, that's wasted so. air that I'm not able to push on, on some other agenda. Yeah. I right? get how it's frustrating. It, it, and, I mean, and look, yeah. it's, it's, and I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying recognize that, that, Part of this is a game, right? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't disagree with you on that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, you know, Jay, let's just take one, okay, one, 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 one last thing. Yeah, go ahead. One last go thing. So, so you're a big Steelers fan, right? Uh-huh. And, and. This is ben Jay Roethlis- trying to, trying to torpedo my Ohio U.S. Senate campaign before. Exactly. Yeah, that's, here. that's, that's going to do it right there. Um, <laughs> Listen, so in the past, uh, Ben Roethlisberger has been credibly accused of rape. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you were at a Steelers boosters party, right, and you're there, and someone keeps, keeps calling and demanding on you, um, Mike, or how about, how about this? You're, you're president of the local uh, Cincinnati Steelers boosters club, um, and people keep demanding of you, Mike, as the president of the club, we demand that you come out and renounce Ben Roethlisberger as a rapist. Well, I would say, you know, he, he has a presumption of innocence and he has not been, he is not actually a convicted rapist. So I get what you're saying, Jay. But, so but I don't you wanna, understand I, the, the point yeah. is not, is yeah. not to, to do anything that really has anything to do with Roethlisberger. The point is to embarrass yeah. you. I don't, I don't, I get what you're saying. And so I don't, again, I don't disagree with you. I just feel that the scope of what Donald Trump, the wrongness that he injected into this is just so great that, it, you know, and, and sure, it, that sounds like it's a very convenient thing for me as a Democrat to say, and it is, I'll admit that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. All right, uh, let's just take one more quick break, and then we will be back and talking about another, oh, just totally not at all contentious issue, the possible end of Roe versus Wade, Ooh, just in time for the 2022 midterms as well. Okay, Jay, so our final story today, the Supreme Court announced this week that it would hear Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, a challenge to Mississippi's law that would, well, with limited exceptions, ban abortions after the 15th week of pregnancy. Now, after Mississippi passed this law in 2018, Jackson Women's Health Organization, which is the only licensed abortion provider in the state, challenged it, as you would expect. As the law was a very straightforward violation of the Supreme Court's precedent of not allowing abortion bans before fetal viability, which usually is right around 24 weeks, both the federal district and appeals courts struck down the law. Now, the issue that the Supreme Court will be ruling on is whether all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional. And the case will be heard in 2021-22 term, which begins in October of this year, and it's typical for major rulings to be announced at the end of the term, which would be somewhat time around June or so of 2022, which is, you know, pretty in the run-up to the 2022 midterm elections. So, Jay, first off, I guess I want to get your sense of why you think the court might have taken this case and any sense of how you think it might rule, or if we can tell at this point. Um, well, they need four <laughs> to take it, and uh, I think you just got uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Um, 
I, I think that's that's part of it. Uh, you can also say, listen, that the court hasn't taken a a major um, abortion case in in quite a while. Uh, there have been these these here and there ones that that uh, were typically went to some some extraneous, uh, 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 you know, whether it produced an undue burden uh, on the woman, as opposed to going at the core of uh, is this a constitutional right or not. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's big. Um, uh, that said, I'm, I'm still not sure you're going to get a complete overturn or you might get uh Roe versus Wade overturned. Uh, but, but yet modified, um, uh, for example, I mean, yeah, he, I think there's, there's a good yeah. argument to, to say that, that Casey, in fact, you know, really overturned Roe versus Wade. Um, uh, so I, I, I don't know. I'm always, I'm always, um, I, I hate to hazard a guess again, especially at this point where the court just said it would take the case sure. last week. Um, but it's hard not, I think it's hard not to get. read something into it, right? Saying that, well, why this case, which is such a clear violation. I mean, it's that, you know, that's, they teed it up specifically for that. And you got to feel that at least if they just were, if they just wanted to let the precedent stand, they just would have not taken the case. But as you pointed out, it only takes four justices to decide to hear a case. So that to me suggests that at least four justices are ready to make some modifications to that yeah. sort of pre-viability dividing line. And I think this is, I think you'll probably agree with me here. I think that's really important because uh, if the court modifies in any way that kind of fetal viability line, if you will, what then is the limiting principle? You know, at, at what point then does the state's interest in preserving life or potential life become greater than a woman's right to control her own body? And I think at that point, it, you really grasp at any kind of a real limiting principle except for, well, life begins at conception. And so therefore the state's interests begin. I, you, you see what I'm saying here? Well, I think I think the limiting principle then is whatever the state legislatures are going to create. Got it. Okay. Right. I so mean, that the, would the, suggest. Yeah. Well, yeah, that so, would suggest so, I mean, then th there'd be nothing to say that you know the the court could rule you do not have a constitutional right to a pre viability abortion. Um, of course, your state may provide it. Right. So what, it, what you would be saying there is that essentially that there is no constitutionally protected right for a woman to terminate an unwanted pregnancy at any point. Well, it depends on how that? the court rules. That, that, is one, that is one route they could take. I mean, it, right? Now, now, now and keep, so keep in mind, like, look, in Roe, uh, it was, uh, pregnancy was divided up into trimesters. No real reason, yeah. one way or the other, other than that was just the, you know, how they decided to, to divide it up. Um, in Casey, they came back with the, the, the little more scientific uh, view of, of viability, which, again, it's, it's a hazy line. But as you point out, it's, it's around 24 months. Um, could the court draw some other line uh, that is, is uh, arbitrary uh, or hazy or maybe not arbitrary? Maybe there's, there is some, some sensible line that they can draw. Uh, I don't know. Um, one, one route would be to say, as you, as you, as you said, uh, there is no constitutional right to, uh, uh, actually no constitutional right to, to abortion. Um, well, with, uh, except, you know, under these 
probably some of the exceptions that are are included in the Florida statute or the um, the Mississippi statute. Um, you know, so, I wondered, Jay, though, if that's I, I want to kind of not really push back, but like question you on on the formulation of that because oftentimes it's it's formulated as a constitutional right to abortion, and certainly we've both read the Constitution many times, and there is no direct stated constitutional right to abortion. But there's right. also that's, that's the problem. <laughs> but 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 there's also no constitutional right to do all sorts of things that we accept as sort of standard privacy rights. There's no constitutional right to, uh, you know, for, for the, uh, that the state can't say uh, prohibit masturbation or something like that in, I mean, in private, obviously not in public, decency <laughs> thing, you know, you could do that, but is that going to be part of the platform, saying? Senator? No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but you see what I'm saying here. I mean, it's a question of, well, is there even a privacy, a generalized privacy right? So it's really yeah, a that's, I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's, I mean, a good question. And that's another um, route the court could, could take. Because, right, the way Roe evolved uh, was out of a case called Griswold, which had to do with uh, birth control, um, which grew out of a case, and I'm forgetting the name of it now, but it had to do with uh, whether or not you could speak German at home. Um, and, and there the court found that, that uh, oh, okay, there is, you know, lurking in the Constitution, in the, the penumbras of the Constitution, um, these, these other rights, and, and one is a, a right to privacy, and the right to privacy was then applied to contraception, and then that was then expanded to include abortion. So, yeah, is, is there a, a right to privacy? That was, that's, that's a little bit of a, not a little bit, a completely a judicial creation. Um, and so, it was, for example, for our, our listeners who, I don't know, who, who care about these things, and maybe this is getting a little into the weeds, sort of one of, one of the most infamous um, uh, Supreme Court cases of all time was, was Lochner versus New York. Um, Mike, you know all about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so in Lochner, Lochner was a, a baker in New York, and New York passed this wage and hour um, regulations for bakers. And he said, hey, I've got a, damn it, this is America. I've got a right to contract and, and have whatever contracts I want. And the court uh, found that, yeah, there is a, a liberty of the contract in the Constitution. Now, again, there's not really any, any provision you can point to. Uh, it was just kind of, well, it's kind of sort of there if you squint. Um, and, and Justice Holmes, in his, his uh, dissent, uh, a very famous dissent on this, said, look, the Constitution doesn't adopt any particular economic theory. Um, and and this is, you know, this came to be known as Lochnerizing, where you just trying to sort of find a right out there, uh, and it it was sort of the height of of judicial activism, um, uh, and that was in the 1920s. And then, uh, you know, Lochner, I don't believe has ever been officially, technically overruled. Uh, it has been probably the most highly criticized case um, uh, in Supreme Court history, except maybe for Roe versus Wade, um, but. Dred Scott, but it gets but back yeah. to that that same idea of of uh, of you know sub using substantive due process to sort of create rights that are maybe kind of sort of there in the Constitution, um, but but you can't you can't identify exactly from from once once they flow. So so do you? I mean, you've read the Constitution more than a few times, and you've thought about this sort of stuff for years. Did, do you think that? there is that that there exists a privacy right in the constitution or and and i want to be clear here 
this is not to say that either way, that, and I think this is part of the problem with this. Is this is like my about, judicial confirmation hearing? Well, 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 I mean, I guess the reason I'm asking this is because... First, first renounce Trump, now is the right to privacy. But I mean, do, seriously, do, do you think that there is uh, a right to privacy in the Constitution? And I want to point out, this is what I was getting to before, uh, but I, the way you answer this doesn't necessarily mean that you're pro or anti-privacy. You could certainly argue right. that there is no right to privacy in the Constitution, but that there should be one, there should be an amendment, or that that legislative bodies should protect privacy and not pass laws that invade privacy. And so I just wanted to kind of put that out there in front so that when people heard what I think might be your answer, they don't go, oh my God, Jay just, just hates women, basically. <laughs> I don't know. So, so no, and, and I, I apologize. I, again, it's, it's Friday afternoon, and that's maybe not the best time to, for us to record. <laughs> um, there is a, there is a case and the, it escapes me right now. But we're talking about substantive process, and, and what it sort of says is uh, there are these other rights uh, of substantive process that are inherent in the in ordered liberty, right? Um, so I, I do think there is is some privacy component uh, in the uh, Constitution, and and you you don't necessarily have to squint to find it all the time because Fourth Amendment, right? I think there's that sort of explicitly deals with privacy, your right to be secure in your home and your papers and, and, and all that. Right. Um, the fifth amendment, uh, due process, uh, basic clause of, of due process of law. Uh, I, I think there is, there is something, uh, you know, I, I think you can, you can read some privacy components there. Um, the, the sense of, is there a right to, uh, abortion and, and when is this, this privacy right? Um, is it is it paramount? And I, I is it? Let me put it this way. Um, maybe the better question is: Is it a fundamental right? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, because there's there's I mean, in the in the in Supreme Court parlance, there's what we call fundamental rights, uh, and then there are, are other rights. And and is it this fundamental constitutional? I I don't I don't know that uh, uh, that it is. And again, as you as you said, um. That doesn't mean well. Maybe it it shouldn't be. Yeah. Maybe there there should be an amendment, or maybe it's protected by a state constitution, uh, or you could have it protected by a state statute. Um, and I wonder, I, Jay. I, I, I do I do think there is there is sort of in that uh, uh, inherent and or, ordered liberty piece. You know, there is sort of a sense of of you have a right to be to be left alone. Yeah, and and that's why I mean I wonder if when we don't know if it makes sense to err on the side of individual liberty. Well, and, with a lot of individual liberty questions, though, that it's, it's also the cost to the rest of society is not as high as it is in an abortion. So, for example, the, sure. the, um, yeah. The, yeah. The, the case, and, I'm, and, I, and again, I'm, I'm blanking, uh, uh, somebody versus Kansas or Nebraska or somewhere out there, um, <clears throat> where they didn't want uh, people speaking German at home. Mm -hmm. um, in 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 that case, you could say, well, well so what? Uh, if if um, people speak German at home, uh, who cares? Uh, how does that affect uh, burden any other right or or uh, burden society or the country? Um, likewise, in Griswold, if you want to say birth control, well, I suppose some people might have religious objections, but if if uh, those people have religious objections, well, they can again live their own lives. 
and the the fact that someone else uses birth control doesn't particularly impose any uh, uh, any restriction on them or or prevent them from from uh, living their faith. But when you get to abortion, and there is, and and you may disagree with me, but I, I think you you have to argue there there is an interest of of an unborn person. Sure, and yeah. and you can assign that interest different values, right? I mean, mm-hmm. some people say it's a child; life begins at conception. Uh, others, others less so. And at this point, the Supreme Court says, "Well, that that right to life kicks in and trumps that individual liberty when you reach um, uh, viability." So I, I think that's that's a, a key difference in in abortion cases versus other privacy right cases. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because because in, in other privacy right cases, the 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 cases you're you're necessarily doing something that is 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 private, and right. and is not going to affect someone else, or you know, or is, or is very unlikely to affect someone else. Right, which is why plenty of people would, I mean, in a very different area, argue about you know someone's right to say not wear a mask or not get vaccinated. Well, that's not a, just an individual choice of what right. to do with your body. There's there are potential other effects, and even more so here because. We know that there is a potential life, and the, the further on into pregnancy, the more that potential life or that life becomes a actuality of a life, that, you know, after viability. So I, I, I do think I do think there is that fundamental right, and I think it's an, a, just a very difficult balancing. And I really feel like that the court more or less got it right with that sort of viability marker. That seems to me to be a reasonable limiting principle. But my sense of things is that that the court wouldn't have wouldn't have taken this case if there weren't I, I think if there weren't five justices who wanted to at least chip away in a significant way at this principle and that's what I that's what I expect to happen. So that should be uh I think that should have either way. I think when that decision comes out and it will like I said probably in the summer of twenty twenty two, that should definitely have some pretty major political ramifications, that's for sure. Well would would you agree though, um and again, this is setting aside uh, feelings on on the issue of abortion, on the, the moral issue, right or wrong, and and when life begins, and and so forth. But from a purely constitutional standpoint, I mean, doesn't Roe look a whole lot like Lochner? Well, I'd need to look over Lochner again, but I see what you're saying in the sense of well, I mean, just just in the general, the general, yeah. Oh, okay, so the the uh, the speaking German case was uh, Meyer versus Nebraska. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come I should have known that one. Too. <laughs> I, I, I've taught these things, but it was a million years ago. I, they don't let me teach con law anymore. I don't know why. But anyway, um, so yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but just, just because it's not an enumerated right doesn't mean it's not a fundamental right, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and so, the so there's another, so go ahead. there's another path out there. Um, and again, this is, this is sort of early in the, you know, Stage to talk about this, but something else the court can do is is they can say, "Look, we think that Roe was probably wrongly decided, but there has now arisen such an interest uh, that uh, in a, a reliance interest that it would be imprudent for us to uh, overturn the decision." Right? Boy, it's sort of the yeah. the stare decisis that that in this case. Even if a decision was was incorrectly decided, um, we're going to let it go uh, because so many people have relied on it to this point, um, but uh, no further, right? 
I would be, I, I see what you're saying. I would be surprised if the court did that. But I think that for, for those of us who believe that there is this fundamental right for a woman to terminate an unwanted pregnancy uh, prior to viability, I think that's probably the best we can hope for. I, I mean, I, to, to me, that's, that's where I see like Justice Roberts coming down. I could see him coming down in, on that, in, but I also could see of, him being on the, the Yeah, Roe was wrong and decided. It's, it's really not a fundamental right, but you know what? Um, this is where we are, and uh, we're not going to overturn precedent. Yeah, and previously that would have put him on the, on the, what I would consider the right side of a five to four decision on the majority side, but I think in this court, that might actually put him in the minority. Yeah. Well, and, well the other thing to think about is there's unlikely to be, I don't think this is going to be a 6-3 decision, right? There's going no. to be patching together. It's, it's going to be a, a, a 3-3-3 decision or, a, you know, I yeah. mean, it's, yeah. it's going to be, um, I, I don't, I don't see it, uh, you know, or maybe even a 1-1-1, uh, you know, I don't, I don't see it, uh, uh, being yeah. a simple majority, uh, and then minority opinion. I think it'd be more no. like, like Casey, where you're, you're patching a holding together out of, out of different pieces of what, what uh, justices can agree on. Yeah, that sounds right. So we should have, uh, it should be all kinds of fun to read through all of that. And I am sure that at some point uh, next summer, we will be spending a lot of time talking hey, about so, so can I throw in one last question on that? You sure can. And this is, this is just a hypothetical. Yeah. Assuming the, uh, uh, the court overturns Roe versus Wade and says something to the effect of, the federal constitution does not provide a constitutional right to pre-viability abortion. Uh, check with your local state constitution or state legislature. Does that lower the temperature on the Supreme Court and in Supreme Court nominations going forward? If the one big thing that, that we've been fighting over for 40 years, the biggest thing we've been fighting over for 40 years, uh, is, is gone. No, not at all, I don't think. I think that there'll be even more of a push on the left to uh, expand the court or change the court in some way to get the court to recognize a fundamental right. Because I think that's at the crux of it, because plenty of people, including I'm, I'm one of these people, believe that this isn't a question that can be or should be decided by Democratic majorities because it is about a fundamental right. And that's the whole point of having these fundamental rights is they cannot be taken away by, by simply because some majority in some state wants to take them away. And so that's why I don't think that would really have much of an effect. That's my sense. Okay. So we, we shall see. Certainly it'll be, uh, uh, yeah, there'll be a lot to talk about then. All right. Well, that, that pretty much does it for us for today's show. But I did want to let folks know if, if, you, if you're with us at this point over an hour in, you are, you are an ardent fan. Thank you so much. But I want to let you know, longtime listeners might remember a, a while back, Jay, you might remember this. We had this goal of getting 5% of listeners to support the show on Patreon. Does that, that sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, at the time I announced it, this was more than a year ago, we were at like not quite two and a half percent. And I just, I kind of forgot about it. COVID and life intervened, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I looked just yesterday and as of yesterday, we are only 23 Patreon supporters away from that 5% goal. Um, wow. And, and yeah, and you know, 5% might not sound like much because, I mean, after all, it means that 95% of everyone who listens isn't supporting the show. But 
in the podcasting world, this actually is a pretty big deal. Um, because you know, you can get this for free. And so you'd be, you're supporting something you can get for free. And I really think that the fact that we're this close demonstrates just how incredibly supportive everyone who's listening now is and how much you really care about what we try to do every single week on the show. And so first off, I want to just thank you for that. That means an awful lot. But also, I really want us to hit that 5% goal now that I know we're so close. So here's what we're going to do. If we get the 5%, those 23 more supporters, by the end of June, we'll release not one, not two, but three extra bonus shows over the course of the summer. And the content what? of these shows, yeah, I know. It's crazy. I've gone crazy, Jay. Yeah, the, um, the, uh, the, the um, Robert Maplethorpe tote bag or the Abortion Yes coffee mug, <laughs> choice of premiums. But here's the thing. The content of these shows, it'll be decided by a vote of our Patreon support. So whatever you decide you want us to talk about, we will do three shows over the course of the summer on that. And that will be in addition to the regular midweek bonus show that you know, all, everyone who's a Patreon supporter gets every single Wednesday. So I think we can do it. I hope we can. I'll be interested in seeing what listeners want us to do for bonus shows. I think it should be, uh, I don't know, it should be pretty interesting. So uh, yeah, but that is it. For this episode uh, on our bonus show, Jay and I are going to be talking about Ohio's vaccine lottery and other things that states have been I'm doing. To lucky. There you go. Yeah, me too. I registered. Also, Joe Manchin, his letter with, uh, uh, help me out here. Uh, I'm going to say Arizona, not Arizona, but Alaska. It's an A, Senator Lisa Murkowski, about uh, wanting to renew the Voting Rights Act and how that might play out. And also, we do our, we'll do our annual tax day segment, which we've done, I think, every year since we started the show. And I have some thoughts on, on, uh, on taxes and progressivism and maybe some things that'll be surprising. I don't know. We will see. But all of that is going to be on our bonus show and maybe even some listener questions if we have time for that. And again, if you're a Patreon supporter, that will be there for you Wednesday morning. If you're not, just go to patreon.com slash politicsguys and sign up to become a supporter and get us to that five percent goal and if you'd like to hear that weekly bonus show but you cannot afford to support the show totally get that email me mike at politicsguys.com and i will get that all set up for you finally again you know, i say this every week but it matters every week subscribing to the show leaving ratings and reviews and sharing your favorite episodes really does make a big difference and it's absolutely free so we would really appreciate that a special thanks to our executive producers Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Chris Wilkerson, Nathan Sosnowski, and Ryan Beasley. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope you'll join us.